Well, we're, we're coming after an Easter break, and we're back into our series in Matthew. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ross took us through the first half of um, Matthew chapter 13. And so today, uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, this chapter. And, and in this chapter, Jesus gives us eight parables. This is the most condensed um, teaching of parables that we see in the book of Matthew. And so obviously, um, this is a tool that he's using. So we start here, and, and Pastor Ross spoke to this um, last week, or two weeks ago as well, but why did Jesus speak in parables? If this is something he did so often, and more and more in his ministry, and why did he do this? Two, two reasons I want to highlight this morning. The first one is to make a specific point, not just a general moral. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus's parables are not like one of Aesop's fables, where it's just a nice moral at the ending of it. Like we know the story of the tor- tortoise and the hare. We got some turtle smack talk going on here. Um, that, you know, the, the moral was just, hey, slow and steady wins the race, right? Just a nice little moral for us to take home, which is good for me because uh, I'm not exactly Usain Bolt. So, um, you know, Hips McGee likes that, that likes that uh, moral. But, but this is more than, like, these kind of moral fables just tell us, like, be nice, um, have patience, share your cookies. I mean, th- things along those lines. But Jesus isn't just giving us nice morals. He's making a specific point. And what happens is if we don't understand the specific point that Jesus is making, then once again, we can just sort of take these stories and make whatever conclusions we want out of them. So we could take a story like the prodigal son and say, you know what? This is really just about the coronavirus, um, the first son, he left the house and, and, and he didn't social distance, right? He went into the crowds. And so what happened to them? He ended up in the mud with the pigs. He got the swine flu, right? <laughs> the other son thinks he's morally superior because superior, he's at home. He's sheltering in place, right? Is what you're supposed to be. No, that's not what, the, clearly the parable is not about um, COVID-19. Uh, people have done weird, weird stuff with the parables throughout history. And so what we always remember in, in, our, in our principles of studying the word is that context is the king. And so what I want us to think about, whenever you read a parable, ask, what's going on in the story when this parable comes out? Who is Jesus talking to? What has just been happening? There's a response to um, something that's going on in real time and place. And so we zoom back out and say, what is the purpose of, of Matthew's book? Well, we said it's to announce that the true king had come to inaugurate or to begin uh, and announce this this true kingdom that he was bringing. And so you have to understand at this point in the story, and this is almost exactly the middle point of our story, um, there has been this growing, rising opposition against Jesus. The Pharisees, many of the leaders in the crowds, but there are also many who want to hear him. The crowds are pressing in. They've gathered around the lake where he's preaching right now. So you see mixed responses from the crowd and and you put yourself in their shoes. These people have been waiting for thousands of years for this promised king to come and rescue them from what has been one oppressor after another. And they sense if this king is who he says he is, the rescue mission is here right? Like we are about to be saved from our enemies. Like we're here to receive our marching orders, Jesus. They see this as a, a call to arms. Uh, Ross, a couple weeks ago, mentioned Braveheart. He, they're expecting this rousing speech where you can take away our taxes, but you can never take our freedom. It's, that's my Irish accent or Scottish. Yeah. William Wallace was yeah. Scottish. Ian's screaming at the screen right now. Sorry. I don't do accents. Um, 
So Jesus is going, yes, I am here um, to fulfill prophecy and your prayers, but it's going to have, it's going to be different than you think it's going to be. Um, it's going to be harder for you to, than, than you think to, to understand what's going on here, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. So Jesus is going, stay with me here. Um, I'm going to explain what the kingdom is really like. And in fact, the purpose of a parable, um, the, the word in Greek, it meant a placing of one thing by the side of another. So it's a comparison, like a simile, like or as. So whenever you want to look at the main point of the parable, one of the simple things is what's being compared. And in this chapter, just like the rest of the book, there's no mistake, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, six times he says the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a mustard seed, it's like leaven. Or one time he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. So Jesus is here to tell them what his kingdom, he and his kingdom are about. Now, now a kingdom, what's a kingdom? Well, it's a, it's a sphere or, or, or an uh, a area of influence that a king rules over, right? And so what he wants to show them is he is bringing God's rule, his kingdom, his way to earth as he had originally intended it. And Jesus wants to challenge his audience about what this kingdom is really about and what it's really going to be like. In fact, that takes us to our second purpose. First of all, it's not just a general moral, but it's a specific point about the kingdom. And secondly, these are meant to challenge his hearers, not clarify. Ross touched on this. Um, I always, I don't know if you're like me, I, I grew up thinking the parables were actually meant to make it clearer, right? Like he was relating to the common man, right? Talking about fishermen and sheep and farmers, things that those people could relate to. Like if he was speaking to us today, he'd be like, okay, Alaskans, the kingdom of heaven is like salmon fishing. Or like, oh, we get the kingdom of heaven is like working on the slope. We're drilling for Jesus. You know, like that, that, that we would be able to relate to those things. And there's an aspect to that. But really what's going on, uh, we looked at this two weeks ago, that in verse 10, the disciples ask him this. They go, why do you speak to them in parables? Why are you speaking to the crowds this way? And, and to which Jesus says, um, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. And he says there's two different kinds of people that he's speaking to here. And these parables conceal from those who have rejected him, those who have hardened their hearts, who are not receiving. He says, they're not going to understand these parables, but to those who will believe, those who have ears to hear, they're going to be, they're going to see the truth. They're going to, it's going to be revealed to them. And, and remember Jesus' parables, they're meant to surprise people. The people that were listening that day, that these endings always had twists and turns from what they would have imagined. He's doing this on purpose to, to challenge them, um, to, to, um, confuse them, to wake them up. See, the people didn't need information. They had information, right? They had, they had the law, they had, they had God's word, prophets. They had all the information they needed. What they needed was to change their hearts. They needed to repent and receive God and his kingdom on God's terms, not on their own terms. And this is the same thing for us. Listen, we don't need more information primarily um, if, if you just come to hear and learn a new, a, a cool fact or two about the Bible today, it's not what we're here to do. What we need is changed hearts. Because just like Israel, you and I, we have some wrong ideas, so, some wrong attitudes, and some wrong choices that we make regarding God, His kingdom, and His way. And so in this morning's parables, I, I, I want us to, just like Jesus' audience was to be challenged them, then I want us to be challenged today. And there are two things that I think He wants to challenge us in in these parables today. The first one is waiting for the kingdom. We need to ask ourselves, is my timetable God's timetable? Spoiler alert, it's 
normally not. Um, but secondly, is, is the worth of the kingdom, are, is what I value what God values? Do I give worth to what he gives worth to? So those who have ears this morning, let us hear. First of all, the waiting uh, for the kingdom. Now, if this pandemic season has revealed anything to me, it's how bad I am at waiting. I hate waiting, right? I want what I want. I want it now. We're waiting for the social distancing to be lifted. We're waiting to see if our loved ones will be okay, whether it's physically or financially. Um, We're waiting to be able to watch sports again. Um, We're waiting to be able to, Jill and I had to put our trip to California, see her family on hold, and we don't know when we're going to be able to get down there. We don't like that kind of waiting. Uh, My control issues are popping up like a hormonal teenager's acne, right? It's all over the place. Things are bad. We are waiting, waiting, waiting. And these um, first three parables that Jesus wants to look at today are about waiting. Uh, Jill read at at the outset the the parable of the weeds and and the weed and the weeds. The weeds and the the weeds and the wheat. There we go. I could just read what's on the screen. Um, The farmer had to wait for harvest time, right? And he had to wait in frustration as those weeds were popping up and choking his wheat. The next one we see is about the mustard seed. Um, He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So if you're a bird here, you have to wait. Wait for this tiny little mustard seed to grow into a large tree. It really grew into a bush, but it was like 8 to 12 feet high. So that's, that's bigger than most Alaskan trees. Um, and so, so really, the, it was, uh, was going to be pretty big still. But then the last one is the leaven. Um, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all level, leavened. That's like 50 or 60 pounds of flour. It's a lot of flour. And so this woman baking the bread had to wait for the leaven to spread its way through all of the dough um, and, and mysteriously leaven the whole loaf. But just like us today, man, Israel was tired of waiting. Generation after generation, people had come, lived, and then died. And there was no Messiah. There was no rescue. They're like Jewish kids in the car, right? Are we there yet? Oi! That's the... Jewish kids in the car. Um, Again, not accents, uh, be in my strong suit. Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. It's starting. But it's not going to be how you expect it to start. It's going to start in ways that seem insignificant. The mustard seed he uses because it was the smallest of all seeds. What would have seemed like the most insignificant of all seeds. And and also he says, you're you're not even going to see it to start. Just like the leaven in the bread, it's going to start out mysterious. It's going to start out secretively. Most people won't even know that this thing has begun. But why did it need to start this way? Why didn't Jesus come just guns blazing, take out the bad guys, drive out Rome, let's do this thing, let's hit the ground running? Why the wait? He explains that in the parable of the weeds. Look at verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, remember this is what it's about, to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, this seems like a weird prank, doesn't it? Like if you're going to get your enemy, like I'm going to go sow weeds in his field. <laughs> like what do you, but actually this was very common where rival um, farmers would do this to their neighbors to be able to destroy their crops Some competitive farming going on there, right? Because they, they wanted to make the money. And um, this weed, this um, zizania, it was, it actually looked very, very similar. Um, this is actually the, actually I don't even remember 
remember which one it is. I think this is the weed. That's the whole point. Like it was almost impossible to distinguish one from the other at the beginning. And it was only as they grew and those, the grains of the head started to actually flower that they would be able to tell which one was wheat and which one was weed. That's why they had to wait till the harvest time. And you'll see this is exactly what Jesus is, is saying. Verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Why would you put weeds in your field? And he goes, well, I didn't. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to them, well, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want to take out the weeds? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. You won't be able to distinguish at this point. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And, and so... He says, I want you to wait, but let's not get lost in the metaphorical weeds here. Um, what is Jesus' main point? And this one's a little bit easier because like the sower, he explains it a little bit easier. He says the, the seeds, the, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. And then the, the, the other ones, the weed, are the ones of the evil one, that the, the, the evil one has sowed, those who are not following um, Jesus. So look at how he breaks this down, verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. He's talking about final judgment here which is clearly not happening the day Jesus is talking. So the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, the weeds, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, the wheat, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears let him hear. Jesus does this consistently. Um, the, the sower, he says, is the son of man. So this is different. The parable of the sower, we were sowing, we're the ones sowing the seed. So it's not always the same analogy that's being made here. But what's interesting, and Jesus consistently does this, he uses Old Testament language to refer to himself that was only referred to God. When God was the sower. And so, and the people would have caught this. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the king. I am God. As the king, I'm the one that will decide how my kingdom will grow. I'm the one that decides when this final judgment will come. And I'm the one that decides who are the wheat and who are the weeds. This is a kingdom mic drop. He says it belongs to me. And they, well, they must wait. They must wait. They didn't want to wait. They weren't interested in God's timetable. They had their own way. We want you to come. We want to drive out Rome and let's do this thing right now. They had their timetable. They had their ways. And boy, am I glad that I don't struggle with that like they did, right? Um, one of the toughest questions that we must deal with is why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? You know, why, why didn't Jesus, why didn't you do it the way I would have done it? Just come down, squash the bad guys, snatch everybody up, and we'll just live happily ever after. Like, why are we still living in pandemics and suffering and evil and murder? Why are we still living in that kind of a world? Well, you know, I'm actually pretty glad he didn't do it that way because that was 2,000 years ago, and I would not be a part of his kingdom had he done it that way. Um, in 2 Peter, Peter addresses this very question, and he says in uh, 2 Peter 3, he says, They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This is a pretty modern question. We have the same question today. Where is God? Like the evil, the suffering, the things we're seeing today, they've been going on for generations. Who, you, you claim this God is good and he's going to rescue people. Well, where is he? Where is he? Because generations have been dying. To which Peter says, man, your timetable is different than God's. 
In fact, a day, it's like a thousand years to God. 2,000 years ago, that's a weekend to God. And he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. We don't count the same way God counts, but is patient toward you. God is asking us to be patient. God himself is patient. And why is he being patient? Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So why hadn't he come back yet? Because he wants more people to come into his kingdom. He wanted you and I to be able to experience the joy of knowing the king and living in the kingdom. Now, some would call this um, like a a delay tactic or a cop-out by his followers, right? Like, oh, we're just making stuff up. Um, this, This whole thing's a fairy tale. He says there is a day coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The judgment is coming, but according to his promise, we are waiting, here's the waiting we're talking about, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says this is not just a delay tactic, nor does it mean that God is uncaring or inactive. We got to remind ourselves that this is not a God who doesn't act. This is actually a God who already has acted. What did we celebrate? What did we we rejoice in last week? That Jesus came in the ultimate act to defeat sin and death. He's already dealt with it. He absorbed into himself all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the evil, all of the sin and death in this world. And then he rose on the third day triumphantly to defeat it. Now all we're doing is waiting for the full outworking of this finished work to be realized. And what looks like right now, we can't always see it like the leaven. And, we, and it might look small and insignificant like the mustard seed. But just as surely as that mustard seed will become what it's designed, created to become, the kingdom that Jesus started will come into ultimate fulfillment. He says, hang on. He says, hang on, because you're going to have to wait in the midst of a world of evil and suffering and pandemics. We are called to wait with patience, but we're not waiting for Jesus to return the way that we're waiting in this pandemic. You see, we don't know how this thing is going to end. We don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know what's going to happen with vaccines. We don't know if there's going to be second waves. That's all. We don't know what that is. This waiting for Jesus is much more like waiting for the sun to rise. I mean, you think about, and I love that, you know, as it's getting lighter outside, we can now, early in the morning, we can see that light coming up on the horizon. And what do we know? We're not like, boy, I wonder if it's going to become noon. Like, I wonder if the sun will rise. Even though right now there's mostly darkness, the dawn is breaking. And as surely as the sun will stand up higher in Alaska, I guess a little bit more of of an angle, um, just as surely Jesus will come back. This is not an if, this is a when. This is not an if, it's a when. We know how the story will end, for the Bible tells us so. So let me ask you, how's your waiting game going? Are, are your patience pants fitting right now? Like, I know, you know, I wouldn't have thought early on I'd be very affected by it, but I can tell. I've been a little bit more on edge than normal. It doesn't take much, especially when something, some little thing goes, and you're just, ah! Like, where did that come from, right? Like, we are all experiencing different levels of anxieties and frustrations and edginess. Um, but let's remember, we don't know when Jesus is returning, but, but we know the reason he didn't snatch us up right away, the reason he left us on this earth was for a mission, one clear mission, to see more seed sown. He wants more to come to repentance. So let's patiently wait for his returning. And in the meantime, let's be faithful to do what he's called us to do, to see more people, more wheat come from the weeds. So 
we move from that to the worth of the kingdom. Jesus knows the waiting is going to be hard. He knows it's going to be hard. So he reminds his disciples that his kingdom is worth more than anything else. He says, this, this thing that I'm offering you, it's better than any other direction that you could go. Now, we all love treasure hunting, um, finding things that thrill us. Uh, I know Jill loves uh, shopping thrift stores. It's like, ooh, I found this jacket and it was $2. They always want to tell you how much it costs. It was $2 and this is brand blah, 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 right? Like we have no, I don't know, I don't know brands. It's, is it Nike? I don't know. That's all I got. But for me, it's bookstores. Like I love being in a bookstore and I'll run across like, that's the last Steinbeck book that I was looking for. I can't believe I found it in this random bookstore. We love finding treasure. Now, imagine that I'm walking down the beach here uh, on Kenai. Uh, got my metal detector out like I do most weekends. And... I stumble across this jewel, this jewel on the beach, and it's worth millions of dollars. I would know because I'm also a jewel expert. Um, that's why I have the metal detector. I don't even know if any of this makes sense. But just it's, a, it's an illustration, all right? It's a parable. And if you don't understand it, it's because you have a hard heart. Um, anyway, where do we go? But let's say um, I find this jewel. I'm flipping out. I can't believe I found this thing. Normally, it's just like it's coins, it's bottle caps. I found this amazing treasure right? But then I find out that it's, it's on a part of the beach that's owned by this crusty old fisherman. We'll call him Hank because he's a crusty old fisherman. And, um, and it turns out, I mean, he, Hank owns this land, but he is willing to sell it. Not currently living on it, but it's, it's beachfront. It's expensive property. It's a pretty, pretty penny just to buy the land. Now, the jewel belongs to him. But if I buy the property, I get the jewel as well. Now, even just to make a down payment on the property is going to cost me everything I own. I mean, you all tithe very well, but let's be real. I mean, I don't have that much money. And so I, I sell everything I have, every penny. I buy the land, but in the process, I get the jewel. I get millions of dollars back. That is not a hard decision, right? I take what I currently have and multiply it a hundred, a thousand, a million fold. And this is sort of the, the picture that Jesus paints here in verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, people would often bury their treasure in that day because they didn't have Roth IRAs and 401ks to invest in. So your retirement plan was hide it, right? And hopefully nobody else finds it. That's about as far as they could go with it. So in this story, he says some dude stubs his toe walking in a field and finds there's this treasure which according to Jewish law would belong to the field owner. So he wisely buys the field, which costs him everything, but he doesn't care because he's got this treasure that was now worth more than anything he had owned in the first place. Now, this is again where we don't um, go making something out of every detail in, in the parable, even a short one like this and apply it to something that Jesus doesn't. When he says he bought the field, this isn't saying we buy our salvation. You have to purchase it with, we're not earning our salvation. We know Jesus paid it all. It's a free gift of God. And nor is this a moral fable for us because let's be real, a shady move by this dude, right? Like a deceitful, like I'm buying your field, nothing to see here, whoop, right? I mean, this is not, this is not talking about economic transactions for us and how we should go about them. There's a main point here. And the main point Jesus is trying to make is the supreme value of the treasure the man found was worth more than everything else he owned. It was worth the sacrifice to have it. In fact, it says that he, in his joy, sold everything he had for it. That he's saying, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is, is 
infinitely worth more than any cost it would be to enter in to become his disciple. And those who discover the kingdom will joyfully abandon everything else uh, to be able to possess it. And in verse 45, it looks like he says something pretty similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, notice this parable is very similar to the one we just read. Um, in Hebrew literature, they'll often do this. It's called parallelism, where they'll put two things next to each other. But there's one key difference, and I think that's what we need to pay attention to. Otherwise, these stories are just kind of saying the same thing twice. Um, The first one, the man stumbles into a treasure in a field. But this one, it says he's in search of fine pearls. That Here's a man who, a merchant, someone who made their living by trading goods. And so he had to travel far and wide to be able to find these things. And he's not jumping in the, the Kia Optima like I am today, right? He's not jumping in a jumbo jet and flying around the world in, in half a day. This is hard travel, hard searching, and the survival of his family is based on finding the right valuable object. So you can imagine his his joy when he has been in search, and he's got it made now. He's got the one thing, him and his his family can live the good life from here on out because he's found this pearl. How much even sweeter for the man who didn't just stumble into it, but the one who's earnestly seeking it out. You know, it makes me think of our, our dear sister, Ricky. Um, you know, she's been bedbound for the last seven years um, by a debilitating stomach illness. And her and her family have been in search for a cure. And they've literally searched nationwide, uh, worldwide. And imagine what it would be for them to find a guaranteed cure. Now, it would most likely be expensive. But do you think, the, do you think that the Jackson family would be like, nah, it's not worth it? Of course, of course not. Here's everything we own. There's nothing that's more valuable than her daughter's life. And you see, how we value something is, is by definition what we're willing to pay for it. Jesus says, my kingdom is not just something that you would explore in your spare time. Like, well, the quarantine's going on, so I'll do like a YouTube deep dive on something that just kind of grabs, you know, like the, you might also like this. And before you know it, you spent four hours on, on YouTube. It's not just like, oh, you know, I got a, f- a few minutes of spare time. Oh, I'll see what the Bible says. Um, what, what, what Jesus says here is this is this, me and my kingdom, this is the greatest treasure you could ever find. And it's yours if he will sell everything else including the other valuables you've owned in order to obtain it. So what does he mean by that? Because we said we don't earn the salvation. Well, pearls were of um, supreme value in the ancient world. That's why they said, don't cast your pearls before swine. It was one of the most valuable things you could have. And there was also the idea here, different religions were said to be kind of like a set of pearls that you could collect. And the more you had, the prettier. Most um, Judaism was one of the only religions at the time who said there's one God. Most, most other religions would have said, hey, keep adding to the pile, right? The more, the merrier. And so what we see here is Jesus saying, no, 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 that's not true. <laughs> There's one pearl of great price, and it's the only one of any value in light of the rest of them. It's the only one that's worth anything. And so what, what we see here, and, and you know, you think about for us today, we're like, well, I don't worship other gods. I don't, I don't have pearls of Islam or Buddhism draped around my neck, right? So this doesn't apply to me. Um, but I will tell you, I know in my own life, I certainly have false idols. I certainly have 
other pearls that I string around my neck. Tim Keller talks about these four source idols that we, that each of us, and, and we're going to do this in different ways of different people, but that we can tend to worship, worthship, that we give value to, that look for things that we could only find in Jesus. He says it's power, it could be control, um, comfort, and, and approval. There are four idols that we can often bow the knee to. And, you know, trials like this pandemic can often reveal or expose some of these idols in our hearts. Are we feeling today our desire to be in control? (laughs) Our desire for for us to be able to have power to do what we want to do or some of the comforts that we uh, demand that that we just always took for granted that we don't have anymore. I should be able to sit in pizza boys if I want to, right? Um, we, we see how much we put stock into these things. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Following me means surrendering all other gods in your life. That, that I'm the only one that has power and control. You thought you had it. It's an illusion anyway. That following me, yeah, you're gonna, you're, it's going to seem like you're going you're to lose some of your own comforts and approval from other people. But I am the treasure that is worth more than all of that anyway. Without me, you lose your life. He says, you keep your life, you're going to lose it, right? And, and, and then he says, you, you joyfully reject all the other idols, all the other pearls that can't save you in the first place, that can't give you joy in the first place for the one pearl of grave price that can give you joy, that can save you. Again, this should be a no-brainer. I'll give everything else up that can't save me for the one thing that can. And that's Jesus. So as we land the plane, two, two principles I want us to take home. Number one, we ain't the weed pullers. We ain't the weed pullers. Jesus, Jesus reminds the crowds there is a day of judgment coming, but it's not today. And, and it's not them, right? We need to remember we are not the ones who decide who's in and who's out. That's the son of man's job, not ours. And you know, remember he said um, the discovering of the wheat and the weed, it would look very similar at first. You wouldn't be able to distinguish. And Jesus's parables are meant to surprise, to shock, and to challenge. Um, I think there's probably going to be, on that judgment day, a lot of jaws on the floor as to who's in and who's out. The Jews were expecting, well, everybody that's of our blood is in, and all the, the Romans, the Greeks, the pagan nations, they're out. And that's clearly not. Matthew over and over again is showing us that's not the case. And for us today, maybe we're thinking, well, man, I'd sure do t- attend church a lot. I sure do give a lot of money away. I find myself morally superior to my drug-dealing neighbor. Great job, right? We're not judged on a curve. We are all sinners. None of us deserve. So who is the one? Who is the wheat and who are the weeds? Well, the wheat, Jesus says here, is the one who values and loves Jesus and his kingdom more than anything else. And there's going to be some surprises at the end of this thing. So number two, that leads us to to look at in our own hearts, we we value what we view. We value what we view. Um, If if this is the one in the kingdom, the one who who would gladly sell everything, forsake everything else for Jesus in his way, in his kingdom, how do I value Jesus like this? How do I cultivate a heart like this in my my life? Well, a couple of of principles. Um, First of all, seek first. Remember in Jesus's first teaching, this is his third, the parables, the first one, he said, seek first the kingdom and what? All the other things will be added to you. So the only way you're going to find real approval is in me. The only way you're going to find real comfort is in me. The only way you're going to find real power and control is surrendering your own and seeing the Spirit's power and control in and through your life. And so what does this look like to seek him first? Well, you know, as I've I've talked with a lot of us uh, over the last few weeks, 
And I, I saw this inclination in my heart as this pandemic started and was spreading and disrupting my rhythms that I was starting to become obsessed with looking at the news. I was pulling it up every five and 10 minutes at some stretches. And that was affecting my heart, my frustration level, my anxiety levels. And what I was realizing was I was seeking first COVID information. <laughs> I was not seeking first the kingdom. And the first thing I was doing out of bed was, was looking at the news instead of spending time in the word. We said last week, he's invited us into the dance, into union with God. I need to spend more of my time throughout the day with my eyes on Jesus than my eyes on the pandemic. We've gotten distracted. Um, we've gotten caught up. We've lost focus. We're paying attention to the wrong thing. And the more we tune into who Jesus is, that's going to become what we value. We're going to, I, don't, I don't care what's going on circumstantially. I'm, Jesus is still my king. God, Jesus, what do you have for me today? How are you going to meet my needs? And how am I going to be able to meet other people's needs? Staying on mission, sowing that good seed with you. You need to seek first the kingdom. And then, and then B, we need to repent of lesser pearls. Repent of lesser pearls. Maybe there's some pearls around your neck that you're not willing to sell. What, what idol do you need to repent of? As we said, these these pearls get revealed um, usually when they're threatened to be taken away. So right now, many of us are feeling uh, the loss of power and control that we kind of were under the illusion that we had to begin with. And it's evidencing the way that we're looking for those things uh, to be something that only Jesus can be for us. Uh, what have you really been honestly been looking to or trusting in other than Jesus to give you joy um, and to, to save you? And then the last one, we need to believe the good news of the kingdom. We need to believe the good news of the kingdom. Um, the reality is we cannot earn the kingdom of God. That's not what he means when he says that he sold everything for the field. Jesus paid the price that we never could. Jesus became for us what we could never be. We don't patiently endure, right? We all know that about ourselves. Jesus was the only example of a human being who was able to perfectly endure the temptations and trials of life to perfectly say, God, whatever you want, not what I want, your kingdom, not mine, your will, not mine. He endured it. Uh, Philippians 2 says he was patiently humbling himself even to the point of death on the cross. When raised again, Jesus is for us what we could never be. So we repent of our own idols and we believe in who Jesus is. And at the end of the day right now, we got to remember that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, that maybe we're just seeing a little bit of light. Some days we're not seeing any light at all, but as surely as the rising sun, as surely as Jesus rose from the grave, he will return again. And it is worth the wait. What joy for those who will patiently wait for the return of the King. Father, we acknowledge in our own hearts. Uh, I don't know if people who are listening are like me, but I'm seeing idols springing up all over the place in this season. I see the way that, that I, for some reason, my own foolishness of hardness of heart, believe that if I can have enough comfort, if I can go on the trips and do the things that I want to do, that I'll be happy. But Lord, we know that we weren't happy before Corona and we won't be happy after Corona if we're looking for circumstances to make us happy. So Father, we acknowledge those things in our hearts. We acknowledge our emotional state, our, our, how fragile we are, that we need you in this time as we always need you, but that we would be willing to repent of those idols, repent of the way that we've put you into our box, telling you how to operate like the people of Israel are doing to Jesus. 
and that we would surrender our way to your ways, that, we would, that you would change in our hearts, that we would seek you first, that we would value you above all, that we would see with open the eyes of our heart, give us ears to hear that you are worth it all, that nothing else can save us, nothing else can give us joy but King Jesus. May we become the kind of people who believe that and walk in that, that are patiently waiting for your return, and that we are faithfully doing the good work of seed casting while we wait for you. Father, it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.